seat if you like. We have one more, but um, before we get going, good to see you. Special welcome to you if you're new. Good to see you again if you're not. Um, is there any prayer request that you'd like for us to lift up? Um, we can do that here and now, or if you want to meet with one of us afterwards, that's okay too. Yeah. As we come into our service, thank you, Father. Um, this, is, this is all for you uh, because you have done all for us. Um, and it's not as if we could repay you. It's not as if we could ever repay you. Um, your grace far outweighs a life's, the drop of your grace outweighs a lifetime of our works. And we thank you for what we have in Christ, whose grace is sufficient. Um, and we lift up Terry, who's... Um, in the Dominican right now, and we pray uh, just for her fruitfulness there, but I know that it's hard probably to do anything when you have shingles, and it's affecting your vision, it's affecting your health, it's, uh, it's, it's nagging at you when you're, when you're there trying to be fruitful for your kingdom. So we pray that you would grant her healing, as you are a God who is above all and can do all, um, and we depend on your kindness and your grace to provide this, and we thank you that you're the God who accomplishes all things, and um, pray that you would grow your kingdom uh, here today as we hear the word, and Terry there as she is active, and we thank you for the marvelous grace that calls us home, calls us uh, to be forgiven, calls us to belong to you. Um, pray that you would sanctify your word today in us as we hear, and um, that you would bring about growth and change and repentance and help us to see. And it's for your wonderful name we look forward to all that you would do. Amen. You can stand again. How can we recount the ways That you have multiplied our faith The wisdom of your ways The currents of your grace Expressed Every hope in every wave In the longing of our souls in the darkness where we go you are there you are love you are all together good in the weakness of our faith in the silence where we wait you are here you're enough you are all together good Through our joys and in our griefs You have led us to believe The wisdom of your ways 
Let's go ahead and have a seat, everyone. It is great to see you all. It's nice to see people venturing back some and uh, see you online because I know a lot of you have been seeing us online. Uh, yeah, we need to dismiss the kids, of course. And um, uh, we are still working through some glitches on, on how we do things here because we've had to retool a lot. One of the things that we've had to do is uh, our, our soundboard was pretty antiquated and we replaced it, worked on the sound system, worked on the video, have tried to uh, improve our online uh, presence because I know many of our friends online have, have uh, benefited from that and it's really been a lifeline. 
Uh, so I'm so grateful that we've been able to adapt. Um, in the process, of course, there are glitches along the way. We've had some sound issues online and, and in here that we've wrestled with, and, uh, but we're persevering through it. And some of you may be wondering, as I'm looking at the globes, one of these things is not like the other. And uh, all I can tell you is uh, no worship directors were injured when the ladder fell while they were working on the, he wasn't on it, but he was taking it down and, um, well, sometimes things happen. But uh, uh, we, uh, we are pushing on and we are moving forward. And that's really where I want to bring us to today is in that space where we're looking ahead there's a lot of rear view uh, uh, gazes that we have, and, you know, I, I'd hate to even, it's a dumb pun, and it's probably a dad joke, but, you know, we look at, we look at the last year, and hindsight is 2020, and as you think about what happened last year, it's like, how do I even make sense of that, and how do I make sense of what is going, going on as far as we move forward, and a lot of us are well, we've been pretty unsettled for a long time. Uh, I know I have. Uh, perhaps uh, you've had that same sense of, yeah, I'm in a state of disequilibrium a little bit, but I'm, I'm slowly finding my sea legs. And I hope that this uh, time that we have been spending in the book of Luke has been helpful for you guys in, in doing exactly that. Uh, I know for myself, and I, and I believe I can speak for our elders and our staff, uh, it's really been beneficial to go through the book of Luke and ask in a fresh way, what was God up to uh, with the people that Luke, uh, as he's writing this gospel, uh, were starting to tune in to Jesus and the church and the mission? What was God up to as he formed all of those people under circumstances, believe it or not, that are a lot like what we have gone through in the last year? Very uncertain, very oppressive, and for some, even having to maintain social distancing, believe it or not. So the parallels are pretty uncanny, and even this morning, uh, Rich Capel and I, we met for prayer over the teaching and the preaching of the word, and basically, you know, we came to the conclusion that Luke is just sort of busting forth with things that relate to the moment so well that it's got to be God in the process that's making this happen. And that really is the faith part of this whole equation. Now, uh, just a couple of things. Uh, first of all, whenever it comes to that notion of faith, I just want to remind you that I um, uh, really am grateful and gratified that so many of you have been going through the power habits and allowing them to rekindle your faith, uh, reshape your habits that are centered around activities that have a lot to do with uh, keeping ourselves in tune to the Lord, uh, such as um, uh, spending time in Scripture like we've been reading about this week, and gathering together in community, and taking time to pray, and taking time to withdraw from the noise, and certainly as we round out the study, we're going to be reading about what it means to be committed to the church. And it has really been a bizarre year for people in my role. Uh, pastors have just been chattering all during the whole time of, uh, of the pandemic. Uh, what does this mean for the work that we're doing? 
And I, I would equate it to, has anybody ever had an ant farm? You know how they carefully uh, take all of the passages and they, you know, withdraw the sand and they create the pathways and the interconnections. And then somebody comes and they just shake it real well. And you're like, oh. And I know that that's sort of how it is for people in ministry. But I can only imagine what it's like for people who uh, are connected to churches and want to live the way of life that Jesus lays out for us. And so hopefully in all of this, we are getting uh, sort of recalibrated into what that means. And as we do that, we're going to be looking today at a passage of Scripture that we find in Luke chapter 5. And we're just systematically going through this book, and as things sort of emerge, we find that, hey, that has a lot to do with what we're going through right now. And, um, and, and as we get into it, uh, we find that Jesus is, well, Luke, for the sake of why he's writing the gospel the way he is, um, is, is showcasing something about Jesus. So I want to back up a second here to the very first chapter of the book of Luke. And you can look on the screen. We're going to read this real quickly. Uh, because all the Gospels are written differently if you've ever read them. And each writer has a purpose and a group of people in mind that have a set of issues happening that he's writing their, uh, these words for. And Luke has a person in mind named Theophilus that he's deeply concerned about. And he wants to ensure that as he hears the stories about Jesus, that he gets it right. And so he says this, I also have decided to write an accurate account for you, most honorable Theophilus, so that you can be certain of the truth of everything you were taught. You see, I think in the back of Theophilus' mind was this lingering doubt. I'm just not sure regarding all the claims that have to do with Jesus. And maybe you've had that inner dialogue yourself in the past uh, year or so, and that is, I'm just not sure that God is in control. I'm just not sure that God is trustworthy. I am not sure that God is reliable. And regardless of how your, your politics flow or your view of, of the pandemic uh, goes or any number of divisive issues that seem to have had a pretty damaging effect on the church, you have to consider this, that the information that we get from the Word of God is very reliable. And this is the heart and soul of why this gospel has been written. You see, I think there's a definition of faith that we need to explore uh, for just a second as we Think about Theophilus and why we're reading the words that we are and his own set of doubts and your doubts and my doubts because I think there's a definition for faith that, uh, that, that, that I want to just bring to the surface. And it goes like this. Faith is a bold move into unknown places 
or an unknown future in our case, based on reliable information. Faith is a bold move into an unknown future based on reliable information. And that really is the beginning and the end. But you may be asking on the ground level, what's the significance of that for me? Because truly the future is unknown. How everything unfolds, what life will be like, that's unknown. But there is some reliable information that brings us here week after week after week that gives you and I a sense of perspective. When we are unsettled, it settles our spirit. When we have doubts, it rekindles that sense of confidence that Jesus is in control. And it's that idea of not having all the information about the future that I think is unsettling. So much so that I believe that many of us have been glued to Fox News or CNN or social media trying to answer that question. What does the future hold for us? But my response to that is, you are turning to the wrong source for reliable information. Because those sources are not in control like the one that we're reading about today who clearly, hopefully by the time we get done, you'll be convinced that he is in control. So we have this story that Luke inserts into um, his telling of Theophilus, and it's told in, in Mark, and, and we read about parts of it in other places. But the way Luke says it, 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 really, it really is just an escalation of a series of bold moves that Jesus is making that run counter to so many expectations that people had about how they understood the lay of the land, the certainties that they had, and the hopes that they had about a Messiah, he's not doing it anywhere near what the script that they were taught to believe has said. It's a pretty bold move. And then there are people in these two accounts that we're getting ready to look at who also respond with a level of courage and boldness that I think you and I might need today. And so let's just take a look at these scriptures. In the first part, <clears throat> Luke says, While he was in one of the cities, there came a man full of leprosy. And when he saw Jesus, he fell on his face and he begged him, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand and he touched him, saying, I will be clean. The scripture says, immediately the leprosy left him. Now, in that day when a testimony was given from the standpoint of the law court, reliable witnesses were always basically the highest form of certainty regarding the events that had occurred. And Luke takes 
his time to interview a lot of people about what happened, and these kind of things keep coming up. Not only looking at the Gospels of, uh, of, of Mark and, and Matthew, but he's also asking on the ground level, like a reporter, what did you see? And he saw, or somebody saw, some witnesses saw, and it was recorded that Jesus touched a leper. Now, that may not mean anything to you guys, but let's just back up a little bit and think about leprosy. Um, how, how many of you have ever had poison ivy? I'm just trying to find it. Okay, so it's not quite there, but have you ever touched another part of your body with poison ivy? And what happens? Yes. And, you know, if you, if you, if you sleep next to your spouse, they're way over on the other side until that thing gets cleared up, right? There is sort of like a social distancing that happens. Well, that doesn't really respect what these, these um, particular individuals uh, had to go through, uh, but I think it helps us to understand a little bit. I want to I point out a few things in what you're seeing on the screen. You know, when you think about people, a lot of times we'll categorize them. And he could have written, and there came a leper. And we're getting ready to read about a guy that had, uh, he was paralyzed. We could have said, there came a paralytic. Or there came a person of color. Or there came a, and just insert whatever it is. There came a gay person. Any Social identifier. But you know what Luke says? There came a man who happened to have leprosy. And as we're getting ready to read, there came, there was a man who was paralyzed. And he's very careful about saying, first and foremost, this is a human being before there's some kind of social category and that's intentional because we live in a moment, don't we, where everybody wants to identify according to some kind of social category. And then they want to stand at odds with people that don't see things the way they do. And what Luke is trying to recapture is a sense of we need to get rid of that. And we need to remove some barriers that are keeping us from becoming more peaceable from becoming a community. All of this stuff is sort of buried here, but let's move on. So there are forces at work here that are keeping this guy isolated. So much so that it's sort of cruel. For example, there were teachings in the day that said if you were a leper, and um, we won't go into the definition other than to say uh, it was a disease that was potentially contagious, and ritually made you unclean. And so you had to stay away from this person as long as they had these things going on in their life. So much so that they were, they were it was told that if you sold eggs in the marketplace and there were lepers around, they could go bad. So much so that there were even some teachings that indicated that if you see a leper, Throw a rock at them so that they'll stay away from you. 
so much so that there was a social indignity where you, if you had leprosy, you were encouraged to say leper and let everybody know. You're to broadcast that. And we know in, in, in Leviticus chapters 13 and 14, there is a lengthy discussion about leprosy and how it leads to ritual impurity. And I don't want to do it, delve into the theology as much as to show you that there were reasons back then why things were, um, were basically prescribed for the culture. But there are also mechanisms for healing and things like that as well. But all that aside, here's a guy that wasn't untouchable, who, believe it or not, you're required to keep a six-foot social distance parameter from them. Isn't that funny? Sort of like painfully, like I have a, that hurts, but that is kind of funny. So much so that you didn't feel the touch of another human being for years. And here's Jesus saying, that's pretty bold of you to come up to me and ask me for healing. What's going on with you? Why are you trusting me? You really believe what you're hearing? And Jesus touched him. Which we read about in John 4. There's a, there's a centurion who has a family member healed or household member healed from far away, 20 miles. Jesus said, said the word, and he was, it was done. But no, Jesus did something illegal. Jesus broke the law, for you rule followers. Jesus broke the law so that he could do the thing that God would do redemptively that is I think, supersedes the law because it's about giving this person their dignity back. And laws are always for the well-being of the community. I get that. And in this case, Jesus touched him. I've actually heard stories where going through a season of isolation and then finally re-engaging with people, some, some chiropractors have even responded that whenever I go to massage the person, they just break out in tears because it's the first time they've had any human touch in a very long time. We don't do well in isolation. And God knows that. If you've been reading through the power habits, we know that at the very beginning, God says it is not good for man to be alone. We were made for a community. And as you're going through this, you find that there's a lot of stuff that just repeats itself over and over. And one of them is that God deeply and profoundly loves us as human beings made in his image and likeness. When we look at other people, it's like they're made in God's image. Not like, oh, you're a leper. Oh, you're a paralytic. Or what other definition you want to identify with that is lesser than the primary identity 
of being made in God's image. And what Luke is trying to do is elevate it to an even higher level by saying a new identity through the second Adam, through Jesus, you're actually being transformed into a new humanity. It's called to love everyone. So I, I really like that about what Luke is unfolding here because I think all of us can say we can relate to the isolation and the loneliness. And we get the psychology that this does to us. I mean, can you imagine the mental health and the internal struggle that is occurring in this person's life day after day after day, broken down by that. Interestingly enough, he tells him to go to the priest, and the priest uh, has the responsibility of saying, okay, you had leprosy, but it would appear that's no longer a thing, so you're clean. You can be reintegrated back into the community. And Jesus said, don't tell anyone because I don't want this to be about the miracles. I want this to be about the love of God and the announcement of the kingdom flowing through these circumstances. All right, well, I'm just going to, I got a lot more to say about it. And Rich, I think we'll, we'll continue on on that thread if you want to go through the teachings. But I want to pivot a little bit to what happens next. So let's just move on into um, the next section of scripture if we can. And this we find um, starting with um, chapter or um, uh, verse 16. And it says that, but he withdrew to a desolate place to pray. So in between here is this need that Jesus has to stay centered in the things of God as he has come as one of us, limited in in, in that capacity, but yet still divine, and also displaying to us that we need to re retreat from the noise. And there's a lot out, of the, out, out there. And maybe the noise has been so overwhelming that you've said, finally, I'm going to turn my TV off. I'm going to turn my computer off. I'm going to not be looking at my phone all the time because I find that it's just making all the noise in my head a cacophony, and I need a break. Jesus baked that into his habits, and he's asking you and I to do that. And I think for many of us, that's the only way we've kept our sanity, is that we've disconnected, withdrew, and then connected with the Lord and said, help me to keep it together. And I really believe that if you trust the unknown future with the reliable information that is centered on Jesus, you'll keep your wits about you. You won't come unglued. He won't let you. He will direct your path, and he'll help you. You see, what Jesus is doing to this fellow here isn't just healing a skin disease. He's doing something that changes his whole life's trajectory, his whole environment. Well, let's move on. So he withdrew because it's getting ready to happen. 
Even though he said, don't tell anyone, word is getting out, and the Pharisees and the scribes are starting to get a little agitated. They're unsettled themselves. They're hearing things that go contrary to the teachings that they have been basically uh, provided as the, as, as, the, um, as the framework for looking at life as a person in Judea and Galilee in the years A.D. 30 to 33. And they're losing control of the narrative. And Jesus, he's not backing down. But he also knows the only way that he can keep moving forward is to retreat, spend time with God, and then re-engage. So here we go. On one of those days, as he was teaching, Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there, and you can just see them, arms crossed, making sure that everything he said was in compliance. And as they were gathering in a critical mass from every village in Galilee, way up north, and Judea, way in the south, it must have been quite a group. And I got to think that Jesus, as he's walking into the room, can just feel their icy glare. But he knows he's not alone. That God is with him, and God is in him, and and a very real sense, even though he's, he's reduced his divinity down to our humanity, he's still very in tune with his identity. And the power of the Lord was with him to heal. So moving on, here's where it gets interesting. And behold, some men were bringing on a bed a man who was paralyzed. Now remember what we just said? Not a paralytic, but a man who happened to be paralyzed. No matter what social category or connotation that's we've, we've adopted or has been ascribed to us, you need to understand that the primary identity for everybody is they are first and foremost made in God's image. And God is in the business of redeeming each of our lives. So here's a guy, he's paralyzed. And he had some friends who said to him, hey, bro, Jesus is in town. We need to go see him. And he's like, I don't know. I've heard that he's doing some pretty fantastic things, but not sure. Well, get your clothes on. We're going. So they didn't give him a choice. And I don't know the whole backstory other than to say that they put him on a mat and they hauled him to the house that was the venue for Jesus' sermon. So we're in here preaching, and then all of a sudden, Luke says some tiles were removed, but other gospel writers say, now they knocked a hole in the roof, and then they started lowering him down. These guys were, they were on a mission. They weren't going to be thwarted. They knew there was some reliable information that they, that, 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 that they were beginning to assimilate into their being. But they also knew we don't have all the facts, but we're going to trust that he is capable of doing exactly what our friend needs here, now, today. That's pretty bold, isn't it? 
And so they, they lower him down, and you can see, you know, the people down below looking up at this guy, and this guy wide-eyed looking at them and then looking at Jesus, and then in the eyes of Jesus just seeing total compassion and a willingness to heal. And so finding no way to bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and let him down with his bed through the tiles into the midst before Jesus. And then we read, and when he saw their faith, he said, paralytic guy, no. He said, man, your sins are forgiving you. And you could see the folded arms go, and they, you, hear, you hear the sound of chairs falling over one after the other, probably cascading into a whole uh, uh, chaotic car wreck. Not really so concerned about what is happening to the well-being of this man, but so much as the violation that just occurred. And here's how Jesus sees it. Because when we read this, we're like, huh? Why are you saying your sins are forgiven? And obviously a dispute emerges about who can do it and who can't. But Jesus isn't that concerned about that as much as he is the fact that the paralysis, the leprosy, your circumstances, your issues, my issues, they are all bundled together into a relationship that we do or do not have with God that's broken in a variety of areas. And the Bible calls anything that we do that isn't God's way of doing things is sin. And so we need internal correction and obviously external healing. And Jesus could have healed this guy and sent him on his way, and that would be wonderful, but his primary objective wasn't to heal him and send him on his way. His primary objective, as we read through Luke, was to proclaim the good news that Jesus is Lord, to call sinners to repentance, and that would be all of us, and then to bring us into a right relationship with God, establishing that relationship in Christ, and then redefining our identity in Him. The miracles are kind of sidebar. They're sort of the surface problem that is a signpost to the underlying chronic issue that we all have. And then you have the critics. And there's plenty of them. There's no shortage of critics. And these critics are actually traveling in a bus together to meet at the location where Jesus is preaching to criticize. I mean, it's bad enough being the leper, where everywhere you go, everybody's criticizing your condition, criticizing your humanity. We're pretty good at criticizing, let's just be honest. But what Jesus is undeterred about isn't so much focusing on the things that aren't according to the way we like things, but to the things that have to do with 
the proclamation of the good news and the way that it puts everything in its proper place, including your life and mine in relation with each other and in relation to our Lord. So let's just go to the, how, how does this, so what? How does this apply to you and I? Um, if, if you want to dig deeper, please uh, stay after the service for Rich's teaching, because uh, I'll guarantee you it'll be really good. But if you want to just go right now because of time to the so what, well then, I think if we look at that definition of faith, faith is, an, is a bold move into an unknown future based on reliable information. We've heard the information. Hopefully it's reliable enough for you. And I want to look at these two guys and see what they did. The first thing that they did was they made a bold ask. They could have said, I have been so limited in my movement, literally and spiritually, that I'm like that elephant that used to have a chain tied in shackles to its rear leg. Then one day after 20 years, they just cut the chain and they took the shackle off even and they said, we're not even worrying about it anymore because he ain't going nowhere. And he didn't go anywhere. And these guys could have said, I ain't going anywhere. But they saw that Jesus has a way that no one has offered before. And they asked boldly. Now, we've been pretty locked down during this pandemic kind of pushed down, actually. And it's even began to limit our own thinking. It's limited our own sense of mobility. Maybe it's limited our understanding of God's sovereignty over it all. And maybe we've asked God for some things in the past, and, well, we're just not really sure he's going to show up. And I think that that is a legitimate concern. I think that that's just being honest. But if we, if we take a lateral move to another gospel, and that is the gospel of John, chapter 14, we read something that may be helpful here. And in it, uh, John writes, um, you can ask for anything in my name, and I will do it. You're like, oh, that's interesting. I didn't see that there. Does that mean if I don't like my coworker, which we used to get along, but now, you know, the pandemic's changed everything, can I ask God to just move them along? Or you have a critic? Could Jesus just ask the Father, hey, Father, tomorrow, or this, uh, when, I, when I get up, when I, when I get done with the prayer today, I'm going to go, and the critics are going to show up en masse. Can you just this one time make sure everybody's just constipated for about a week? I mean, wouldn't that be cool? Sort of, kind of, as long as you're not the critic. But how do we keep that under control? Well, the bold ask actually has a lot to do with bringing glory to the Father. If you're going to pray something, 
make sure that it isn't just a selfish need, but rather you're asking the question, is this going to bring glory to the Father? And there's a whole bunch of things. It doesn't have to be church things. It can, it can pertain to your family, whatever. You know, we, a lot of you have asked how Christian is doing, and he's in the Republic of Georgia, which nobody even knows where that's at. It's like a little tiny place surrounded by mountains. Uh, but he has a mission. He feels called to do this. And I had told him, I said, when you get over there, don't forget the most fundamental part of your identity centers on your relationship with the Lord and being connected to a church community. And I'm honestly proud of him that he does go to a church with his next door neighbor who invited him and now they, they share their community together. And she had the bold ask, maybe it was, Lord, I don't know about this American, but everything that we're hearing on the news about Americans, they need some evangelism. Can I ask that tall guy next door if he'll uh, come to church with me? I'm sure she was shocked when she discovered that he was a pastor's son. I'm just glad that he's a pastor's son and still wants to go to church. Um, and as I think about the ask and his life, I know that he recognizes that there's going to be a struggle. And I keep reminding him, if God has placed you there, like he has placed us here, he will help us with whatever it is that we need to do. And if you're going to ask him something about your vocation, then serve him in whatever you are called to do with all your might for his glory. Bring a good attitude to work. Invite the Holy Spirit in your life to bear the fruit of the Spirit. And speak the truth in love if you have to. Well, and then th the third part of that, that verse is, is what you're asking, glorifying God and benefiting others. Is there anything you're saying no to for God? What are you afraid to ask God for? All of those are part of where we are at. I don't know if I should ask you, God, but if I do, you said ask anything. If it glorifies you, be bold. Here's how this ends today. Make a bold move. We have a whole year where we have basically just been sitting on the side rail. And the ground has shifted underneath our feet in ways that have truly been unsettling. And there is kind of this sense that when God tells us, pray for the pandemic to end, which I know many of us have, he's also asking us to, 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 to really have the discernment to see, what did you do during the pandemic that we needed? What did you say to us when we retreated? What is it that you have been doing this past year in the midst of this adversity? Because I can assure you, based on these two passages alone and many more, when there's an adversity, there is an opportunity for God. Don't you ever forget that. Because there's a lot of adversity in this world, but there's a lot more God over this world than that adversity can contain. And this is a year where our faith 
is very ground level. It matters. There's kind of an easygoing Christianity in America for the last 50 years that's gone. And now the call for believers is to take his word and ask in a fresh way, how, Lord, do I keep my faith from wavering like Theophilus? How do I know for sure in an uncertain future where to place my trust? And I can tell you, if anything has happened during this pandemic for me, and I think I can speak for a lot of the people in, in th that I've rubbed shoulders with during it, it's bolstered our faith. It's clarified our understanding of what God is up to and what he's been up to. And it's certainly rooted us in an identity that runs deep in Christ. And my biggest fear as we move forward, and I sometimes think that as the elders went through Matthew 28, Acts 2, and Ephesians 4 for our mission statement, they could have used this passage here as well. What is it that is getting in the way from keeping people from coming to the Lord? I've had to ask that about myself. What's in you that's getting in the way? What's my role as a, as, a, as, a, as a pastor here to help us to see what's getting in the way? And then let's open it up for the Lord. I love it when people come to church and they're saying, I was so afraid, but I made the bold move. And Jesus honored it in these passages, and we need to honor their lives. And we just want to bring this to an end by honoring you today and hopefully providing a loving posture and hopefully an environment that doesn't have barriers online or in person that keep you from the Lord. That's really our goal. So I'm going to end this uh, with a word of prayer, and then I believe Jason Austin is going to come up and lead us uh, to gather in community around the Lord's table. And pray with me now, if you are a believer and you've trusted the Lord with your life, just pray a bold prayer that God would use us to connect those men and women that can find a confidence in a Savior in an uncertain future. Lord, I just pray for anyone in the room that has not committed their lives to you, has not surrendered through the good confession of faith, and has not identified with you in death, burial, and resurrection, making us new men and women in Christ. Lord, I just pray that there's, there isn't a single person here or even online that is in that place. I pray that if there was doubt before, there would be confidence now and i thank you lord that as you call us you help us and as we move forward we know that even though we don't have all the knowledge and information to securely navigate in ways that make us comfortable we have you which is even better
And we thank you, Lord Jesus. And it's in your name that I lift up this message, our people, for your glory. Amen. Look at the scripture that uh, Leonard covered today in Luke 5. You see the, the friends that uh, lowered their leper friend down through the roof. And I think to myself, man, I hope I have friends that good that would, that would do something like that for me. Could you imagine anything like that today? And I think we, we all would hope that our friends would do the same for us. And... In the world that we live in today, especially in the past few years, you know, everyone sees things differently, and that seems to be a huge social issue is that uh, it really has divided a lot of people. But the one thing that we have here as Christians is that we all have the same belief, <coughs> and that's that Jesus Christ died on the cross for us to save us from our sins. And we should all remember that through him, we're all brought together, and that we'll all be together in eternity, have eternal life. Uh, so we celebrate that each week through communion, and uh, we partake of the bread and the loaf in memory of him. And we also remember that uh, that also unifies us together. Uh, so with that, let's ask the blessings upon, upon the, our communion. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time that you've given us today. We thank you for the uh, community that we have here at uh, First Christian, and we thank you uh, that we have each other. We ask your blessings upon this cup and this loaf, and that uh, it would remind us of the sacrifice you made for us on the cross. We, uh, we ask for these things in your son's name.
Lord Jesus, thank you for the things that you accomplished uh, within your words so long ago that we read about. And just by reading about what you have done, we have faith in the right now. Uh, so sometimes we ask, what does a book 2,000 years ago have to do with us? And Jesus, if you are who you are, perfectly sinless, eternal God, then your works are powerful enough so that we can read about them today and create the same faith that the eyewitnesses had. So help us, you who are perfectly sinless, you who are wonderful to behold. Help our eyes to behold you all the more. Week by week as we go through this book, purify our eyes, claim our hearts, so that the real estate of our life would have a flag that says Jesus. Christ alone. Not even us living there because we gladly give it all to you because you are the true and right king. But you offer us home. And we can be with you, healed, restored, and forgiven. Thank you for your cross. Thank you for your great name over our lives. Help us on in this knowledge. Grow upon it and help us to be faithful with just what we know telling people of the joy that we have because you have saved. And it's for your wonderful name we pray. Amen. All right. Go get your kiddos and you can stay after for digging deeper. We'll get started in a few minutes. <laughs>